Peace be upon you. So the other day I was reading the Quran and it occurred to me that God uses a lot of comparisons between the people of this world and that of a garden or a tree or a seed. And the verse I was specifically reading was Surah 7 verse 58 where it reads, The good land readily produces its plants by the leave of its Lord, while the bad land barely produces anything useful. We thus explain the revelations for people who are appreciative. My takeaway from this is that a good land, like a righteous person, that God can give them a tiniest blessing and that they will produce that into something good. It will grow in appreciation, draw closer to God, grow and develop their soul. But a bad land, irrespective how much blessings God pours upon it, will not produce anything useful. And it's the same thing with the disbeliever. A disbeliever gets all these blessings from God, the hearing, the eyesight, the connections, the status, the money, but they use none of that to draw closer to God. They use none of that to grow and develop their soul. And these examples that God gives, I find incredibly profound. And I wanted to dig into some more, both in the Quran and in the Bible, and then also draw a parable of my own. So the next one I want to look at is from the Bible, and it's Matthew 13, the parable of the sower. And Jesus gives this parable. It says, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they were withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And then he explains what this parable means. And it reads, When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it, this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. In each of these categories of people we see depicted in the Quran, the seed sown along the path can be that of uh, Surah 47 verse 16, where it reads, Some of them listen to you. Then as soon as they leave, they ask those who are enlightened, What did he just say? God thus seals the hearts and consequently they follow only their opinions. And we see this numerous times in the Quran where the disbelievers, they're blocked out. They can read the Quran. They can look at every word, every letter, but they will not be able to understand one verse because they lack sincerity. And the seed falling on rocky ground can be seen in Surah 10, sorry, 29 verse 10, where it reads, Among the people, there are those who say we believe in God, but as soon as they suffer any hardship, because of God, they equate the people's persecution with God's retribution. But if blessings from your Lord come your way, they say, Were we with you? Is God not fully aware of the people's innermost thoughts? 
And we see this. These are people who receive the message. And when we say we believe, we're going to be put to the test. Our lives are going to be shaken up a bit to see do we believe in God unconditionally or are we only in it to get the uh, upside without really proving our faith. The seed falling among thorns can be seen in Surah 7 verse 169 where it reads, Subsequent to them, he substituted new generations who inherited the scripture, but they opted for the worldly life instead, saying, We will be forgiven. But then they continued to opt for the materials of this world. Did they not make a covenant to uphold the scripture and to not say about God except the truth? Did they not study the scripture? Certainly, the abode of the hereafter is far better for those who maintain righteousness. Do you not understand? And I'm sure everyone's seen this. These are people who are constantly committing sin, chasing the wrong priorities. And their excuse is that God is most merciful, God will forgive me, and they continue down that wrong path. And God is warning us not to be like that. And the last example is that of the seed falling on good soil. And I'm going to read two verses. This is 2261 and 2265. And look at even the language that's used in the similarity. It says in 2261, it says, The example of those who spend their monies in the cause of God is that of a grain that produces seven spikes with a hundred grains in each spike. God multiplies this manifold for whomever he wills. God is bounteous, knower. And in this verse, it's telling us that if we spend one dollar, one penny in the cause of God, no matter how small or how large, that God will amplify that. Seven multiplied by a hundred, so seven hundred multiplied by manifold, that God is incredibly generous for any good we do, that he will pay us back very generously. And 2.265 says, The example of those who give their money seeking God's pleasure out of sincere conviction is that of a garden on high fertile soil. When heavy rain falls, it gives twice as much crop. If heavy rain is not available, a drizzle will suffice. God is seer of everything you do. And Again, it's just showing if we have the right foundation, if our we have sincerity, we have belief, irrespective of how small of a blessing God gives us, we are going to amplify that and being able to draw closer to God and grow and develop our soul. And there's another example in the Quran where I found very profound in the uh, comparison between uh, the believers and disbelievers and that of a, a, a fruit on a tree. In 79, verse 1 and 2, it reads, The angels who snatch the souls of the disbelievers forcibly, and those who gently take the souls of the believers joyfully. And we talked about this before. This is like a fruit that is ripe. The soul of the believer gently comes off the vine because they've spent their entire life growing and developing their soul, that at the time of death, they can just gently be taken away. But someone who spends their entire life neglecting to grow and develop their soul, and at the time of death, they have to be taken off the tree. Like a fruit that is not ripe, they have to be yanked off. And this is what it is to be a disbeliever, that they're going to be clenched on to this body, this life. And at the time of death, they will refuse to let go. And we actually see this uh, in Surah 56, uh, I believe, where it says when they're commanded to let go, that the soul of the disbeliever refuses to let go of this body. And I want to draw now on my own parable 
pulling from the uh, the Bible and the Quran and these uh, uh, comparisons between you know trees and gardens and plants and seeds. There's a verse in the Quran where it makes this very interesting comparison between the human being. And it says, in God, and this is uh, Surah 71, verse 17, it says, and God germinated you from the earth like plants. And I always thought, what does this mean, germinated you from the earth like plants? Did we come from plants? Is this what it's trying telling us? Or is this an uh, analogy of how we were produced? Irrespective, it made me think, there's nothing to say what we were before we came into this world as human beings. All we know is that we were a soul. But we also know that the mountains, the trees, the stars, the ant, the mosquito, all these also possess souls. But obviously, their form is fundamentally different than ours. In Surah 22 verse 18 says, Do not realize that God prostrates everyone in the heavens and the earth and the sun and the moon and the stars and the mountains and the trees and the animals and many people. So all these animals, all these objects that God has mentioned, the star, the moon, the mountains, the trees, they all possess a soul. But they're put into different forms. And each one of these forms glorifies God. And in 1744, it says, Glorifying Him are the seven universes, the earth, and everyone in them. There's nothing that does not glorify Him, but you do not understand their glorification. He is clement, forgiver. So in this parable, let's assume that we were all trees, and we all resided in a giant farm. And each day, workers would come to tend to us. They would water us. They would give us shade when it was too hot and uh, keep us warm when it was too cold. But then also, uh, they would prune our leaves and take care of us. And in return, we produce abundance of fruit that was delicious for all the people to eat. And then one day we heard one of the workers talking to himself, and he was complaining. And he was saying that he believed that he could run this farm better than the owner, that this work was beneath him, that he was the best worker among all the workers in the, the farm, and that he demanded more. But he never mentioned this to anyone else. He just kept it to himself. He didn't realize that we were listening. And this put an idea in our head. And we thought, how do we know that this is the best farm for us? Maybe there's another farm out there where we can be better taken care of, where we can produce even more fruit, where we can live life even easier. And the owner of the farm, hearing our thoughts, came and he gave us an opportunity. He says, I heard that you think that there might be another farm for you somewhere else that might be better than the farm I provide for you. So I'll give you an opportunity. I'm going to set aside a portion of my farm and you can go and reside there. And you can see if this farm is better for you or another farm is better for you. But I'll do you even one better if you want. You can go into that farm and not only see for yourself which farm is better for you, but you can go in that farm as a worker and tend to your own tree. But there's a catch. If you choose to go into that farm as a worker and tend to your own tree and you fail to provide adequate care for your tree and your tree withers and dies in that farm, then when you return back to this farm, you too will be a withered, useless tree that won't be able to produce any good fruit anymore. When the trees heard this, most of them chose not to take that responsibility to come and to be workers. 
And for those, the owner said, well, why don't you just go and see for yourself what it's like in a different farm? And then when the time comes, you can come back to my farm in your original state without any harm or foul. And then there was a subset of these trees who thought, hey, I want to be a worker. That would be a great promotion. And how hard of a job can it be? All we do is we get up, we water, we tend to the tree. That seems easy. And we took the responsibility of being a worker and tending to our own tree. So the owner set aside a portion of his farm and brought all the trees in who chose to still stay trees. Then he brought all the workers in to tend to their own trees. And since no one had any experience being a farmer or working within a farm, he asked his workers to go and train these new workers. And it's at that time that that one worker who was complaining spoke up. And he said, I don't want to serve these other workers. I'm better than they are. I've been a good, far, uh, good worker for you for all these years. I demand more. And he gave that worker an opportunity. He said, look, why don't you go and you can manage this farm? And if you can manage it as well as I manage it here, then you proved your point. But if you can't, then you're going to come back into this farm no longer as a worker, but again as a useless tree that can produce nothing of value. And that arrogant worker took the farmer up on that offer, and he thought that he could make that farm as good as it is in the farmer's, uh, the owner's farm. So the experiment began, and it became apparent for the, uh, the trees who chose to be workers that most of them didn't want to spend their time tending to trees. They wanted to go and pursue other lusts, other things. They, and because of that, they neglected their responsibility for their tree. They stopped watering it. They stopped caring for it. They stopped providing it shade when it was too hot or providing it warmth when it was too cold. Its leaves outgrew and from that it withered and died. Then the uh, owner of the, uh, the manager of the farm, this experimental farm, he was getting frustrated because his farm was diminishing. His harvest wasn't coming in and his workers were fighting and quarreling and he thought his only recourse was to try to destroy everyone and their trees because he thought that maybe the, the owner of the farm will have some sympathy on him. But there was a small subset of trees who chose to be workers who did do what was asked of them. They got up at dawn, they watered their trees, they pruned their leaves, they provided shade when it was too hot and provided warmth when it was too cold, and they weren't distracted by all the authority and the freedom that was given to them, and they did their part of the agreement. And when the experiment was all over, the trees who never took on the responsibility, they were allowed back into the farm in their original state with a whole new level of appreciation for the workers and for the owner and for just how good they really had it. The trees that withered and died, that the uh, workers did not tend to, they were brought back into the original farm, but now they had no value because they no longer were able to produce fruit. And the only value they provided was that of firewood. So they would grow and they would get chopped and thrown into the fire for warmth because that was the only value that they provided.
and the manager of the farm, he was demoted from being one of the most competent workers, one of the most productive workers, to being the most useless of trees, who again had nothing to provide, no value to provide anything aside from firewood. And the trees that became workers that did their responsibility, that tended to their trees, and their trees grew productive, they were allowed back into the farm, but no longer as trees, now as productive workers, with full autonomy and full authority, because they showed that they were responsible, that they did what was asked of them, and for that they were generously promoted. The end. So why do I bring up this parable? What occurred to me was, this is a parable for what it's like in this life. We were all souls who questioned God's absolute authority, and God gave us the opportunity, the freedom of choice, to come into this world to decide for ourselves, is God the only God, or maybe there could be another God beside uh, Him? And most the souls refused that responsibility. We read in 3372, we offered the responsibility, freedom of choice to the heavens and the earth and the mountains, but they refused to bear it and were afraid of it. But the human being accepted it. He was transgressing ignorant. And what it means to have freedom of choice is that you cannot have responsibility without more authority. That God, knowing that if he was to give us this opportunity, that this freedom of choice, that this responsibility comes with more authority. And how we choose to use that authority is going to dictate our outcome. The manager, the worker who complained about his role, who was sent to uh, be the manager of this new experimental farm, he's that of Satan. Satan's claim when he was asked to go and serve the human being was that he didn't want to, that he was better than he. And because of that, his arrogance got the best of him, and he failed. And he failed more than any other soul because he had a prominent position among God's servants. And think of this. If you take someone who's always been impoverished, how bad is life for them? But now compare that to someone who is a millionaire, who had all the status, all the connection, all the fame, and they fall to absolute poverty that they lose their status, they lose their fame. Who has it worse? And I would say the one who was rich before who fell to poverty has it worse because they knew what it was like to have it. And imagine this. If I told you I have a fruit, this fruit is so delicious that if you ever eat it, you're never going to want to eat anything else again. But it comes with a stipulation that if you eat this fruit, you'll never be able to taste it again. Now, how many people would want to taste that fruit? I'd say most people wouldn't because the agony they would feel spending the rest of their lives never able to eat that fruit again would be absolutely devastating. But someone who's never tasted it will never know what they're missing out on. And this is what it's like for Satan. This is the reason that it's so terrible for him and others who had this high status in this world. Because when they fall in the hereafter, to the pit of hell, they're going to reflect and think of how good they had it, how much blessings they had, that they threw that all away. And now we get to the ones who neglected their tree, the trees who chose to be workers to tend to their own trees and failed to do the responsibility. 
These are like those who refuse to do their salat, their contact prayer, refuse to give to charity, refuse to do zakat. And because of that, they're diminishing and killing their souls. And a tree that can produce nothing good, nothing of value, the only value that's left for it is that of firewood. And that's why we see the disbelievers, God says that they're going to be the fuel for hell. And they're going to be living in all of eternity and misery, thinking that they had this opportunity, they had this freedom, they had this authority that God gave them by having this responsibility and they threw it all away. And in um, 837 it reads, God will sift away the bad from the good, then pile the bad on top of each other all in one pile, then throw it in hell. Such are the losers. In Surah 3 verse 10 it says, Those who disbelieve will never be helped by their money nor their children against God. They will be fuel for hell. And in 456 it says, Surely those who disbelieve in our revelations, we will condemn them to the hellfire. Whenever their skins are burnt, we will give them new skins. Thus they will suffer continuously. God is almighty, most wise. And if we read this in the form of thinking of human beings, that their skins will be uh, burned off and then regrown only to be burned off again, it seems grotesque, it seems horrific, and it is. But if you think about it in the sense of a tree, a tree that, again, cannot produce anything of value, is incapable of producing any fruit, any shade, anything, what good is it other than for firewood? And I want to end with one verse and this is from 2 266 it reads does any of you wish to own a garden of palm trees and grapes with flowing streams and generous crops sounds pretty good so far who wouldn't want that but it continues and says then just as he grows old and while his children are still dependent on him a holocaust strikes and burns up his garden god thus clarifies the revelations for you that you may reflect so let's not take this time we have in this world lightly. Let's be appreciative for all the blessings that God has given us. Because the worst pain anyone can feel is to lose what they had in their hand. And let's not do that. Let's be appreciative for all the blessings God has given us. Let's use every opportunity to draw closer to God, to be more appreciative, to devote our religion absolutely to God alone and not pollute it with any form of idol worship. God willing, we're going to end there. If you guys got comments or questions, hit us up at QuranTalk at gmail.com or on Twitter at TalkQuran. And if you like the podcast, please go on iTunes and leave us a review. Let us know what you think and um, how we can do better. Until next time, peace and God bless.